Today's scriptures are from Luke 4, 14 to 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jane, for reading that passage. Yesterday, something holy happened here in the sanctuary. And um, those of you who are here caught a glimpse of something. Um, those of you who weren't able to be here, I just want to share with you some of the ways that I sense the Holy Spirit was working in our midst because whenever any of us sense the Holy Spirit's doing something, we need to tell others, especially in the Christian faith community because that helps buoy our faith up. It helps us realize, oh, God's handiwork is in our midst and we need to pay attention to something and come alongside of God and help participate in whatever the Spirit is doing. Yesterday we had a, a memorial service, a celebration of life for Tessa, who is nine years old when she died. We've been praying for Tessa since the 18th of, of December. Is that what, Steve, when you shared that prayer request? Steve and Kate Davis are neighbors with the Handerhand family, and the minute Tessa went into the hospital, we've been praying for her. She had uh, cardiac arrest, respiratory failure, never really came out of that coma that she was in, in ICU. And she uh, finally died early in January. As you can imagine, a, a tragedy unspeakable. This is a parent's worst nightmare. And the community of Chatham has been hit hard by this. Uh, parents have been coming to me saying, you know, I, I'm nervous about my kids like I haven't been nervous before. Uh, I'm watching my kids sleep to make sure they're breathing. I'm, my kids get a cough and I get nervous. This was a very rare and unusual death that defies the medical world. The, the Handerhand family has shared with me, the doctors don't know what happened. And it was just one of these rare, unusual deaths. And sometimes we have no answers. Sometimes we just need to hug our kids and let our kids ask the questions that they ask. And sometimes we need to say, honey, I don't know why, but you're okay now. Tessa's okay. You're safe with me now. Nothing's going to happen to you now. Sometimes we just need to share that with our kids or our grandkids. 
Tessa led a remarkable life in so many ways. Tessa began this earthly life as a boy. And from the very beginning of her awareness, she knew she was a girl. And she said to her mom and dad, why are you treating me like, like a boy? I'm really a girl. I want to grow my hair long. I want to wear dresses. I want to have long eyelashes and swing on the swings and let my hair blow in the wind. Dan, her dad, spoke here yesterday in one of the most profound messages of grace and love that I have ever heard. And he shared with us, 500 people in this sanctuary, how hard it was for him as a dad to go through trying to understand Tessa. And he said Tessa brought him along and knew just how much he could handle and then backed off but kept working with her parents to help them fully accept her. Between grades one and two, she made that transition in the school system from being a boy to being a girl. And I am so profoundly thankful for the superintendent of schools, Michael LaSusa, for the principals and teachers of Washington Avenue School and Lafayette School who said, we are going to make this as easy as possible. We're going to change her name. We're going to change her gender status. And we are going to treat her as she is identifying as a girl. Dan shared with me, they were thinking of moving out of Chatham to give Tessa a fresh start in some other school system. Because he wanted to protect his daughter. He wanted to shield her from the possible mean-spiritedness that sometimes happens. He said yesterday, he's so thankful that he and Kate didn't move out of Chatham because this community, from the school system to the children to the parents, all embraced Tessa and said, we're going to let Tessa be Tessa. I am so grateful to serve a Christian church such as this one, which allows me freely to say to the 500 gathered community yesterday, whether you're religious or not religious, you're welcome here. Whether you're people of faith or people of no faith, you're welcome here. Regardless of your sexual orientation, you're welcome here. Regardless of your gender identity, you're welcome here. I know I can say that as your pastor because you have encouraged me to broaden the welcome in this church. And I know that our theology as United Methodists allows for that kind of gracious space and gracious welcome of all people. You know, Jesus said, and I, I, I'm, I'm hearing this again for the first time in a new way. He quoted Isaiah and he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all people. Yesterday, 
Jesus' hope was realized because we came from various faith traditions and no faith tradition. But I can tell you there was a profound sense of prayerfulness and a deep sense of the Spirit. After the service, a few people came up to me in the hallway and at the reception. Oh, and by the way, let me express my gratitude for those of you who came to usher and greet people. Thank you. Your face of welcome was profoundly received by those who gathered. And people came up to me and said, you have a special church here, and you have special people in this congregation who welcomed us like we've never been welcomed before. So I convey that love to you. Thank you. A Muslim woman came up to me yesterday and she said, I, I'm a Muslim and when I die, I want my funeral to be like this one. I felt the spirit moving, she said. I, I, I can't understand what was happening, but something good was happening here. I had atheists and agnostics come up to me and say, thank you for welcoming us to a church we've never felt welcomed in a church. And, you know, all this spirit stuff, it was, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm understanding Paul, the Apostle Paul, in a new way, who said, in Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, there is no slave nor free. In Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. Do you see what Paul is pointing the early church to? When we are in Christ, all of the boundaries that the world has are put to the side. And we see each other for each other's sacred worth. And each of us created in the image of God. Friends, when this happens, we know we are being shaped by Jesus. Shaped by Jesus' teaching. Shaped by Jesus' love. And shaped by Jesus' choices. And let me just go into that a little bit, and it will get to the passage today. Jesus made choices as to how to interpret Scripture, and which Scriptures to be lifted up, and which Scriptures need to be ignored. I'm glad to see Professor Shin is here from Drew Theological School because I'm going to be talking about hermeneutics. Seminarians, you know this word? Hermeneutics. It's a very fancy theological word that is tossed around in various settings of theological discussion. It means the method of interpreting sacred texts. The method of interpreting sacred texts. Let me share some of Jesus' hermeneutics, the way Jesus interpreted texts, so that we who are followers of Jesus might also be able to do more uh, hermeneutical and faithful interpretation of Jesus. Jesus understood Midrash. Midrash was a Hebrew tradition of reading scriptures and saying, you know, there's many ways to read this text. 
There's other stories about this text, other rabbinical wisdom about this text. There's metaphorical understandings of this text. There's symbolic meaning of this text. There's a contemplative understanding of this text. There's a deeper and deeper meaning to this text. Jesus understood Midrash as incorporating many different ways of reading the sacred texts. Jesus did not quote scripture very much. In fact, he, do you remember that interaction with the devil when he was tempted? And the devil is quoting scripture. Even the devil can quote scripture. And Jesus matches toe-to-toe with the devil on quoting scriptures. But Jesus doesn't quote scriptures a lot. In fact, people take him to task for that. The religious lawyers at the time take him to task for that and they say, you speak with your own inner authority, but our scribes, we go by the book. Jesus never once quotes from 19 books of the Hebrew Scriptures. Don't tell your Sunday school teachers that. We want you to know all the Scriptures. We want you to know all the books of the Hebrew Scriptures. But Jesus ignores 19 books from the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. Never quotes them at all. Jesus had favorites, and he cherry-picked from them. Jesus quotes a lot from Exodus, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Hosea, and Psalms. Those are Jesus' favorite books. And he quoted from them often, but the other books of the Hebrew Scriptures he doesn't even touch. When he quotes Leviticus, which is a very legal book, Lots of laws, lots of rules, lots of condemnation when you don't follow the rules. The one thing that Jesus quotes from Leviticus, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how Jesus chose to ignore all the negative quotes from Leviticus and he only chose the love quote? Jesus made choices. We make choices. Jesus seems to take on sacred taboos and points out their hypocrisies. Here's one. Working on the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. It's very clear. It says that in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's good wisdom. Unless we get legalistic in our understanding of it. You notice that whenever Jesus heals someone, it's almost like he's waiting and waiting and waiting until the Sabbath so that he can heal someone on the Sabbath and point out the hypocrisy to the legalists who say, you're working on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law again. The law at that time said meeting with women for a male rabbi was not to be done. What's the longest conversation in the Gospels that Jesus has, it's with a woman, the woman at the well. Having Mary and Martha, I love that window over there, the Mary and Martha window. 
having Mary sitting at his feet was basically the posture of a student who is being trained to be a scholar. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus was training a woman to teach, to lead, to be the example of faithfulness, and a learned one at that. Eating with sinners, it says very clearly in the Scriptures, don't eat with sinners. By the way, the Scriptures also say it's, it's against the law to eat shellfish. Let me just be the first to say, I like lobster and shrimp. So I break the law a lot when I'm at a party that has shrimp. Jesus, it's almost like Jesus was looking around the table and saying, you know, we don't have sinners here. Would, Would one of you guys go out and get some sinners and bring them here to eat with us? That's probably why Jesus got killed, because he ate with sinners. And that was a bridge too far for the religious police. There's very clear rules about touching lepers, touching bleeding people, touching dead people, and Jesus did all of that. Do you see how Jesus chose to listen to some of the scriptures and chose to ignore other scriptures? Jesus confronts legalists and law-abiding religious scholars who knew that there were 613 commandments in the Hebrew Scriptures. 613. And Jesus is asked, which of these are the most important? He said, all of the law, all of the prophets can be whittled down to two. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus always chose law over love. He chose love over law. Whenever there was a question, do we abide by the law or do we abide by love, Jesus always chose love. That is a hermeneutic, a choice of Jesus. And for we who are followers of Jesus, we're invited to choose love over law every day of the week. So we get to today's passage. Jesus goes to his Synagogue, and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He, he's invited to read from the scroll. That's a, a privilege that's given to religious leaders in a synagogue or temple, and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. It says all eyes were fixed on him, They were waiting for him to finish the passage. And he didn't finish the passage. He didn't read the whole part. You know what he left out? To proclaim a day of vengeance from our God. He left that out. It's in Isaiah. He decided to drop the vengeance passage. 
and leave the last word being a word of good news, a word of God's love. Later on in this scripture, we realize that this congregation of people listening to Jesus ended up trying to kill him. I wonder if it was because he chose love over violence, love over law. Friends, if we are in a place of love in our interpretation of the scriptures, we're in the flow of Jesus' hermeneutic. If we are in a place of desiring ill will on anyone, we're probably not in the flow of Jesus' understanding of the scriptures. I close with this. Some reflections from Steve Garnis Holmes. Yep, Jesus is guilty of cherry-picking. He reads the part about God's favor and omits the part about God's vengeance. He does that all the time. You have to. There are different voices in Scripture, different versions of God, vengeful and nonviolent. You can't have them both. Pick one. Jesus did. Take sides. Commit yourself to grace, to healing, to redemption. You don't need to give equal time to vengeance, to hell with hell. The Spirit of God is upon us to proclaim God's grace and omit vengeance. Only when we get over violence will the world be saved. The Spirit of God is upon us. The Spirit of God is upon us. Amen.